A couple of months ago, we started a series uh, called uh, Body and Life Integrity, exploring how Lion and Lamb might encourage its members to be a more loving and effective body and then extend out uh, what we learn here on Sunday to our everyday lives. And uh, first we explored the question, what is the church? And the answer we came up with, the church is surprisingly not a building, something that's easy for us at Lion and Lamb to understand, Uh, but rather the church is composed of living stones, believers, fitly framed together. In other words, having interconnected or interdependent relationships, laying upon a foundation of the apostles and the prophets, in other words, the word of God, the cornerstone of which is Jesus Christ. The mortar that holds those stones together is active love for one another. Or as Paul puts it, we are held together by what every joint supplies. Last month, we looked at the specific purposes of the church for each believer and family. Our households and each of us need the church. That is, the ministry of believers. That's what we mean by church. We know this for several reasons, not the least of which is that God tells us so. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. However, the objective evidence and our own observations tell us that the traditional church in the present culture is not doing well. In fact, you could say that it is failing to convince the next generation that what it teaches is in fact objective truth and should be applied to everyday life. Today what I want to address first is leadership. Just as people need the church, the church needs its leaders to lead. And this doesn't mean ordering people around, nor does it mean doing all the work, or as in some traditions, you know, having a one-man show. Rather, leaders are to impart vision. The Bible says, if without a vision, the people perish. Chrissy's dad used to say, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Leaders must share the vision through their words, their priorities, and their lives. In 1 Peter 5, it tells us that leaders are to shepherd the flock with eagerness, not lording it over those allotted to their charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So the Marine Corps and the Bible teach at least one thing in common, leadership by example. Church leaders must teach and exemplify and then listen to and encourage the sound biblical ideas of members of the body. Each member brings certain unique gifts and abilities, including some that the leaders themselves don't possess. Therefore, after imparting the vision, it is the job of leaders to empower and assist members to carry out their part of the vision. This is how members of the body acquire ownership 
of the vision and a commitment to pursue it. People become part of something or fitly framed together when they understand where they fit. Whether as an eye or a hand or a mouth or a foot. In other words, they understand that they are needed. In a biblically functioning church, the job of leaders is to see that this happens as much as possible. Next, I want to talk about a distinction in words and then introduce a phrase so that we can understand concepts and communicate on the same wavelength. We often use the term family, and other times perhaps you've heard the term household. And the two often refer to the very same thing, but they have two different meanings. A family can either mean what we have sometimes called the nuclear family, husband and wife, and if God blesses, children. Or it can mean the extended family. These are both, these two are both composed of members uh, related by marriage, birth, and adoption. The meaning of the term family is sometimes stretched, usually with good intentions, but not always legitimately. Just like the term marriage, the term family, for it to have a meaning, must have or retain some definable and defensible boundaries. We should also try to understand what the Bible means by the term household and then what we mean today. A biblical household combined the features of both family and business. The family members, the employees, the slaves all lived together in the same house, which functioned both as a home and as a place of business. In the Roman Empire uh, in the first century, while slavery was not an enviable status, nonetheless, slaves were members of the household. And under some circumstances, they even acquired rights of inheritance, if you look in Luke 20. But the master of the household had the legal obligation to provide his slaves with room and board. And that's why some people even took the extreme step of selling themselves into slavery. We know from archaeology that in the first century, women sometimes headed households, and that successful businesswomen, while not the norm, was certainly not unheard of. For example, the largest building in Herculaneum, which was a suburb of the city of Pompeii, was a businesswomen's club. And since Herculaneum was buried by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, uh, Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD, we know that the club was thriving at the time of the events of the book of Acts. In Acts 16, Paul journeys to the region of Macedonia and comes to the city of Philippi. And on the Sabbath, he and Luke and the others, they go out to the river to pray and begin speaking to some women they find there. We'll pick it up in verse 14, where it says, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. 
and she prevailed upon us. So it appears that Lydia must have been wealthy because she was a dealer in purple, which was a luxury in those days. It is doubtful that Lydia was married at the time because there's no mention of her husband. She could have been never married. She could have been widowed. She could have been divorced. We simply do not know. What we do know is that Paul converted a wealthy member of the business community along with all of her relatives, employees, and slaves, and that when she invited Paul and his retinue to her house, she had enough space, obviously, to accommodate them comfortably. Lydia is the head of the household herself, as the passage clearly indicates that that was the case. A biblical household may have included the family members, the upstairs maid, the gardener, the cook, the file clerk, the valet, the salesman, the stable hand, the swineherd, the, the, the accountant, and the governess. And everyone lived together in one house. Less affluent households may have had just an ex, a single extra hand to help with the work. But all the members of the household were empowered to carry out the master's business. Now let's think of the term household of God. It includes the family members, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the angels, and the prophets, and the apostles, as well as rank-and-file believers who are being adopted as sons. We all live together in the same house. We're empowered to, came out to carry out the business of our master, which is to redeem human souls. We are not only loved by God, but we are sent by God. We are his agents for his providence in the lives of sinners that they might come into fellowship with him. Now, in referring to God and his people, some Bible translations have substituted the popular term family to give us the family of God. The problem with that phrase, family of God, is that it allows us to think of the Father, Son, Spirit, the angels, and us human beings as members of one big happy family. Now this is a heartwarming thought, kind of like from, you might see in Hallmark cards, until we realize that family members, as family members, we would be of the same or of one essence. And really, uh, we would there would be no difference other than our relationship and our roles. That, in turn, could mean that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross wasn't terribly necessary, and that God's grace is only reminding us of our heritage rather than giving us a heritage. When we do this, we blur the distinction between human and divine, and we diminish Jesus. Now, it's impossible to hire an, outside, an outsider as a family member. Therefore, the modern concept of the family of God permits us to think of unbelievers as outsiders from whom we must protect the family. Therefore, we end up fighting sinners rather than rescuing them. Now, it, it may seem like a, a, a matter of semantics and a small point, but there is actually a difference between the, the terms family and household. Family is something that we all treasure. On the horizontal plane, I have often used myself the euphemism that lion and lamb is my church family. And we'll talk more about that later. However, when we add the vertical component of our relationship with God, the better term to use for believers is that we are part of the household of God. Now, when we use household today, 
of our earthly relationships, I'm not sure that any of us here have hired hands or slaves living with us. Now, my kids might take exception to that statement, but that's just their confusion. Um, We do, however, see non-traditional yet legitimate residential compositions, like single parents and children, relations outside that of parent-child, like grandparents or in-laws or friends who need a place to stay, or singles living alone, or maybe in gender, uh, same gender groups to have fellowship, or maybe just to make it through school economically. Uh, before Reagan married Esther, he lived in a thing called the Guy's House, which somehow just happened to be a few blocks down the street. Um, Some of these are families, and others are not, but we can all agree they could all qualify as households. So that's the term we want to use in our discussion here. There could be exceptions, but for our purposes, and I think this is on your study sheet, a household is a single person or a group living together which has a head, whether considered a nuclear family or not. Building on that, let's next consider how we might refer to our present attempt to integrate our church body and our everyday lives with our faith. My intent here is not to come up with a label because, frankly, labels are dangerous. They can pigeonhole us. You know, we, we often think that Pentecostal churches, uh, they're just concerned with signs and wonders, and charismatic churches, all they do is speak in tongues, and Bible churches just sit there and study the Word, and, and liturgical churches, all they want to do is have ceremony. You know, there might be some truth to these characterizations, but it doesn't apply universally. Instead of a label, I just want to suggest a term that can be used at this time to communicate a concept and hopefully develop a little different way to look at how our church relates and ministers to the world. Whatever we call it, whatever we do, it should first glorify God and be thoroughly biblical. I think what we're trying to accomplish today could be described as household church ministry. Household in the sense that each of us is engaged regardless of our present living situations. Church, because that's the larger body that into which we're called to minister, and ministry because that's what we're called to do on a day-to-day basis, not just on Sundays. Let me be quick to add here that the term family has not been banned. In fact, the institution as well as the term are vital to our understanding of a biblical church body. We just want to recognize that in some situations, fall outside the traditional family, and those folks are just as much living stones as those in traditional families. I want to give a few notes of caution here about what we're talking about today. The integrated church concept has been around for 12 to 15 years, maybe longer in some circles. If you look around, you can kind of tell that this concept has not exactly caught on like a wildfire. It is truly the road less traveled uh, for churches in our culture. It takes time to embrace, cultivate, and live out this vision with the obstacles of our church traditions and hectic lifestyles which have conditioned or really literally beaten God's people into submission to a complacent, passive, exhausted, and uninvolved approach to ministry. 
But we've got to start somewhere. Be encouraged. Those who have gone through this process say that it is actually easier and more effective to function as an integrated household ministry than it is as a traditional church. I think this will be much easier for Lion and Lamb than it would be for many churches. While I personally have never been accused of being open-minded, I do think that Lion and Lamb is open to trying new things. We just simply have not gotten ourselves into a routine that says we do it that way because that's the way we've always done it. It will be easier for us than other churches. Now, the proceeding has all been a rather long lead-up to impart a vision for household church ministry. So please be patient. This is a work in progress, and God is far from finished with us yet. First point on your study sheet is that a household church ministry looks like a family because it, it is actually a family of families or households. In Ephesians 2, it says, Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. In the sense that families are supposed to be a place of love, serving, affection, training, and discipline, the church body is, and everyone who comes here, should eventually feel and become as part of a family. Our church family has had not just families of husbands and wives and kids, but singles and single parent families, empty nesters, seasoned citizens, and anyone else who uh, wishes to bow the knee and the heart to Jesus Christ and become a part of our family. Now, we naturally tend to have strong ties with certain people within the church. But our family is not our age or interest segregated subgroup. Rather, the goal should be that each individual here should see him or herself as a member, an important member, of an integrated church family. It's fine and sometimes necessary to meet in groups for specific limited purposes. I meet in a men's Bible study uh, led by Bill Bider. Uh, Christy and I meet in a lion and lamb home group with some other families, and the, uh, the couples have adult conversations while the kids play. Uh, others like Sean and Tanya and Stan and Teresa and Mike and Elizabeth have all had groups, and many others have had groups at different times for specific purposes. And frankly, these are edifying, and I would encourage you to consider finding one or starting one. The truth is that we cannot all meet together all the time. However, the balancing truth is that once a group of singles or couples or youth or older people uh, go beyond just being useful tools and they become our focus and our identity, at that point, we have lost our sense of church family. Second point, a household church ministry has a primary focus. As a primary focus, the goal of equipping parents as leaders of households. If you look in Ephesians 5, uh, going into, into chapter 6, and throughout the Word, 
Fathers are commanded to love their own wives as their bodies, as their own bodies, and train up their children with love and patience. Mothers are vital helpers with fathers in this weighty duty. Church leaders and others experienced in parenting have a vital ministry to younger families to show them how to hold their marriages and their families together and keep them going on the right compass setting. Where you are as an individual, in your marriage, or as a family is not nearly as important as the direction in which you are headed. In effect, church leadership should work through fathers and mothers instead of working around them, as is the practice of some today. Now, for this process at Lion and Lamb, we recognized a little over a year ago that we had to start with husbands and dads and young men. Now, this was not a snub of women, but a simple recognition that after much scientific research, it's been conclusively, conclusively determined that men as a whole in our culture are, by and large, knuckleheads. However, God put us in the position of leadership. And we thought that maybe at the time, because of the culture, we might have a few problems at Lion and Lamb. Really, we had no idea of the problems that we have here. The Lion and Lamb men took a survey to figure out just how we're doing as a household of leaders and young men in what was, I think, regarded by all of us and many outside this church as a family-oriented church. The men answered humbly and honestly with a resounding lousy. In terms of fulfilling our biblical responsibilities as men, we graded ourselves as a church at about a D minus. To right the ship since then, we have tried to, in, to be intentional in teaching and exhortation, in men's groups, in couples groups, the men's advance in the fall, and the roundtables like we had just a couple of weeks ago uh, to address issues that affect men and their leadership, their marriages, their parenting, and certainly their walk with God. We hope we have made a dent, but we're really not sure yet. In the fall, this coming fall, we will take another survey, and we pray that we will have made some progress by then. Men, a little heads up. When we fill out our surveys in the fall, this time we will ask our wives and our teen children, again without identifying information, to fill out the same survey on us so that we can get a good picture. The, uh, the integrated Sunday school that we're trying now is just another step in the process. We're trying not just to provide a balance to traditional Sunday school, but more importantly, the groups and the assignments are an example and a motivation for what we hope will happen in the home. Now, whether you're comfortable with this yet or not, the leaders of Lion and Lamb see the day-to-day -day teaching and bonding activity in the home as essential to a solid, biblically functioning church. Third point. Household church ministry uses 
heart-level relationships as its primary method for ministry. Christ died for us so that we could have heart-level relationships with our Creator. This relationship sets an example for our relationship with others. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see that the heart is the issue. The two great commandments, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, those two reveal the priority that God places on the heart. Heart-level relationships are the fiber from which the quilt of household church ministry is woven. Now, Lion and Lamb, frankly, I think, has a great advantage in this area. We're not perfect, but on the whole, we've got very good relationships between members of the body. But the goal here is to deepen those relationships and, to, and then to extend them to newer members so that all feel welcome and a vital part of this body. If we're genuine in our love, welcome, uh, there's no reason we can't accomplish this. When you walk in the door, the job of the greeters and the welcomers is simply to start that process. Once somebody comes into the gym or wherever we are, there should be no lack of welcome and conversation from all within the body. Our love should also extend to all who God brings into our individual fields of influence. Whether they join our body or not, God provides many opportunities if only we'll be attentive. If we seize those opportunities and form heart-level relationship with, with others, we are then in a position to encourage those others to draw closer to God through our small acts of service. In doing so, we will be used by God as his tools. The fourth point. In household church ministries, every day becomes the theater in which heart-level relationships are played out. Now, we should always be asking ourselves when we do something as a body, is what we're doing building spiritual maturity in relationships beyond Sunday morning? Or is it just a once-a-week gig? Again, in our integrated Sunday school, we, we can see how family devotions and Bible study might be conducted in the home, and at the same time, we're developing relationships with others, deeper relationships that should extend beyond Sunday morning. When we do have other programs that are more like traditional Sunday school, they should also serve the purpose of building personal, discipleship-oriented relationships beyond that one group. Our relationships should naturally uh, take us into interaction that does the same as a part of everyday life. Titus 2 tells us that older men are to teach and set the example for younger men by being temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. This should include how to love a wife, how to lead a family, how to train up children. Older women are to encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the Word of God will not be dishonored. Singles and single-parent families can spend time uh, with other families, with traditional families. Uh, others who perhaps have never had a Christian role model can become part of a family household or a unit. 
in which they are consistently loved, taught, and equipped. And in doing so, they're strengthened to break the bondage of habitual or generational sin. When folks who think they're really probably doing okay are challenged to fulfill spiritual roles in their own or in their future families, a whole new lifestyle is opened up to them. And they then have the opportunity to affect generations to come after them. The upside or potential of this is simply huge. The fifth point is that household church ministry is one where family or household is a dynamic witness to neighbors and community. We go back about a quarter of a century. Uh, the Halpins and the Vincents are sitting in the Topeka Bible Church auditorium and having somewhat similar experiences. The Halpins have Rachel, Bethany, Adrian, and Jessica sitting perfectly still. The Vincents, on the other hand, have Matthew, Patrick, and Noah in white shirts and ties real tight and little Hannah in a fluffy dress, all squirming on hard wooden pews. But it never failed. After the service, one of the old ladies would come up and say, oh, they're so cute and they're so well-behaved. Now, I don't know how Mike and Kathy responded to those, those comments, but I remember nodding and smiling and thinking to myself, if they only knew about the electric cattle prod in my pocket to keep these little terrorists in line. The point is that we don't have perfect families. Uh, the bar, however, is so low, it is so rare these days to see families together it makes just a family being together a witness. Can you imagine how much more powerful would be the testimony of a family actually serving together? This is where the household church ministry gets its practical application. Christy is very intentional about this in our neighborhood. Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, she consistently makes cookies and puts them on plates and she'll gather up some of the kids or me, we'll go around to the neighbors and pass them out. Uh, families, you can serve at the rescue mission together or maybe at the Thanksgiving community event, whatever. There's lots of ways to do that. When church families get together or groups of men and women, they serve together, that is a huge testimony. And frankly, it strengthens our bond very much. And we, we've done a lot of that in the past. And this is frankly something that Honestly, it's an area where we could use a volunteer to help coordinate that more in the future for our body. But you don't need a church program to be a witness as a single family. And if you do, it will transform your family when others see you do more than just your separate things as individuals within a family. I think I mentioned this before, but when one of our children recommended that we do more than just pray for the poor people at Christmas time. We all got convicted and we got up and we went out to the van and took some hot chocolate and cinnamon rolls and drove around downtown looking for homeless people. And we found some. And when we were finished, there was not a dry eye in the van. 
when we got home, we had a much greater appreciation for how blessed God had been to how, how much more he had blessed us in our comfortable home with our gift-laden tree. Many have heard the gospel, but not so many have seen it lived out. Seeing a family serve together in harmony is one of the best ways to reach our neighborhoods and our communities who have generally written off Christians as hypocrites or largely indistinguishable from the world. In Matthew 25, the subject is the kingdom of God. And there Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and you visited me. In prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. And our goal at Lion and Lamb is to see families functioning like God's sheep. The sixth point here is that a household church ministry frees us to minister where we are in real life. Job lamented in chapter 31, If I have kept the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone, and the orphan has not shared it, even though from my youth he grew up with me as with a father, and from my infancy I guided her. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his loins have not thanked me, if he has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan just because I saw I had supported the gate, let my shoulder fall from my socket, and my arm be broken off at the elbow. It's great when a body serves together like we do here on Sunday mornings. The goal we're seeking here is to integrate what we learn and do on Sundays into our everyday lives. This happens through individuals and through households. When believers are unleashed from the myth that you can only serve on Sundays, or in some churches it's Wednesday nights, they and the body of Christ will have an attractive and effective witness. For our neighborhoods and communities to be sprinkled with salt, the salt shakers have got to be turned upside down. The upright or clogged up salt shakers are sitting in churches thinking that ministry only occurs within these four walls. Actually, it works best in the backyard, in the store aisle, 
maybe in the library or in your neighbor's house over coffee. This is not a social gospel. It's not do-goodism. It is simply loving my neighbor as myself. The last point is that in household church ministry, we derive fulfillment from serving rather than receiving. Some churches focus on meeting felt needs of people. And we do need to meet legitimate needs. But those needs can often be met by the relationships that are developed when we serve others. When we begin to meet the needs of others, our problems seem to fade away because our focus has been taken off of ourselves. In Mark 10, James and John make this rather presumptuous request to be seated at the right and left hand of Jesus. He calls them to himself and said to them, You know those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. In a few minutes, we're going to remember that ransom and what we call the Lord's table. And I have no doubt that most, if not all of you, have served in many different ways. The question is, though, that I would ask, if the creator of the universe came to serve and then gave himself as payment for our sin, how will that fact change our lives, our family, and our church? Father, we thank you. We give praise to you. We pray, Lord, that you would continually work in our hearts to soften them. Father, help us to understand what we are called to do as a church, as families, and as individuals. Lord, help us to see that we need to break free of the old notions and simply read and apply your word to our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the blessing of being together. Thank you, Lord, that we, can, we have the privilege to meet together even in this humidity. We give praise and honor and glory to you. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.